my heart is craving being able to be in my own rhythm and for people to be in their own rhythms and yet for us to have these magical highways between rhythms so that we can see each other, understand each other, hop out, be in another person's rhythm, hop back without this whole big drama and permission and judgment and negativity. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. It is your gal Carly. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. And hey, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm really glad that you're here because we're having a pretty special month around here. In honor of opening the doors to the Boundary Academy, we have been spending the entire month of February looking at how women are upgrading their boundaries in their career, in their health, and in their relationships. Because boundaries are about so much more than the simple things like, I don't know, telling folks that you don't email on the weekends or telling your kids that they can't have cookies right before dinner or knowing what to say when somebody asks you to do something that you're just not able to do. I mean, those things are plenty challenging. But if we dare to actually be thoughtful in processing what boundaries actually give us, which is our life and best career back, by golly, (laughs) there are major results to gain here. You see, what we're finding is in all the research and one-on-one work that we do with women is that if we dare to go below the surface of thinking that boundaries are just about saying no, there is so much richness and opportunity for meaningful conversation and really powerful transformation to happen in the way we see ourselves and our sense of agency in the world. Because odds are, if you are a human woman on earth, you have not seen boundaries modeled very often. And when you have, they often look like these hard walls, right? They're these rigid my way or the highway. Either you're with me or you're against me kind of attitudes where things are right or wrong and very binary, this kind of in-out look at creating really big, tough barriers between ourselves and other people when things don't work. And frankly, that method doesn't work in most scenarios. Exclusion, it's just not effective. And we find that folks who aren't feeling included in the conversation will often go out and form these silos, these little pockets, much like cliques that you might have experienced in middle school or high school, where even more division now is bred. Because once a person feels excluded and they no longer feel safe in their workplace, it's natural to begin to armor up and mount a defense, an us versus them mentality. And this is where boundaries can actually go awry and create more division than they do help. And so I was speaking to my friend Faith Clark recently, and she brought forth this really powerful thread. When talking about inclusion across the board in many different types of industries, she said, it's really important for us to figure out why black women clients do not get the same results that white women clients get. And I think she hit the nail on the head because it's so easy to begin to set boundaries in a way that accidentally or sometimes intentionally creates more exclusion, more division, and more unbalance both within ourselves, in our careers or places of work, and certainly with other people. And so today we want to have a conversation about how we can make the ways that we work allow both other people and you to be included in the conversation of thriving. And so that is when I knew we needed to bring a conversation with Faith Clark here to the show. Now, here's what you need to know about Faith. She started her career as a computer programmer on Wall Street, but she quickly identified her passion was for teaching. And she has this real fascination with human motivation and her personal experiences as a mom of a child with autism led to her doctoral studies in performance psychology. So she's taken her talents a step further writing a best-selling book and becoming the co-founder CEO of an educational organization that helps families with autistic children. 
So what Faith's done here is she's taken all of her academic research and numerous experiences with organizational teams to curate this high-touch systematic approach to human thriving and teamwork in the workplace, which has helped her clients improve their operations, maximize productivity, and double their revenue by creating more inclusive and balanced workflow cultures. So every moment with faith is full of rich insight. And here's just a few of my favorite parts of our conversation today. Number one, we discussed how conflict in a safe space creates the kind of combustion that leads to creative problem solving and why our ability to meet other people exactly where they are and to meet ourselves just as we are is essential, even if conflict is involved. We also talked about the massive amounts of information Faith's clients get when they dare to slow down. I can't wait for you to hear the ways that she is leveraging going a little bit slower to her benefit. And then finally, she spoke about two very specific symptoms that might indicate when it's time to take a more inclusive approach in your career or your company. And when I say inclusion, when we're talking with Faith, she discussed how first, including more of your unique self is key in your decision making. So if everything's fallen on your plate, if you wish you didn't have to do it all, if you are the person that has to guide or mentor all the people in your work and your life, then there's a good chance that you aren't standing well within your own boundaries and you haven't included yourself in the conversation of thriving. So perhaps it's time to both set some boundaries and remove the walls that are acting as barriers between you and the basic human connections and support we all need, especially right now. Now, I want you to keep a very specific ear out because we're trying something new on this episode. Towards the very end, I asked Faith a question and she took a generous pause, a moment to be thoughtful and reflect on her answers. Now, If you've ever worked behind the scenes in editing audio or video, then you know that in order to keep the cadence and flow of a conversation going, we often edit out long pauses. But this time, in keeping with the spirit of this episode and the results Faith is getting when she dares to pause, we are going to keep this particular pause in. And when you hear it, I hope you take it as a cue to breathe and just be with yourself wherever you are. And notice, notice what happens when it comes up. Notice if maybe you forgot the pause was coming and now you're surprised and you're checking to see if the episode is still running. And just notice where your mind goes when you get a moment of silence. I have noticed a direct correlation between the amount of space and time we have to process and the quality of answers that arrive. And oh my goodness, did Faith offer us a powerful response after taking time to be thoughtful with her answer. So before we dive into my conversation with Faith Clark, I'm going to pause and give a shout out. And I want to give a shout out to all of the women that attended our Boundary Brunch last week. We did this free offering online with women from all over the world, including women from the Council of Boundary Makers. And we talked about what is and isn't working in the territory of boundaries. And it was such a powerful conversation that we decided to share the recording totally free. So if you want to know more about what's working in the territory of boundaries, there's nothing for sale in our Boundaries Brunch recording. I will put a link to that in the show notes. I want you to have an opportunity to witness what happens when women gather together in a safe and supportive space. All right, here comes Faith Clark. So Faith, what in your head or your heart wants to be heard today? I think the part of me or my heart is craving a rhythm of work and rest that's my own. That's completely my own. And my personal faith's personal rhythm right now could be because of winter is the deep dive with other humans. And this could be work. This, this, it could be strategic planning. This could be working with somebody on how to help their team be effective. This could be coffee with a girlfriend, but just several hours of rich, deep, lovely conversation followed by several hours of whatever. And that feels like a craving on behalf of myself 
But on behalf of anybody who's found that their rhythm is different from where they work and in their life. And I think especially women have learned how to norm to whatever, right? You know, like, like kids need you this time. Partners need you this time. Work needs you this time. You dash between the thing and the thing. And um, I was on the phone with a client this morning who identifies as having dyslexia and listening to her think about the way the work is happening at her job and how, what she needs to do with herself just to fit into that flow, you know? And so I guess the long answer is that my heart is craving being able to be in my own rhythm and for people to be in their own rhythms and yet for us to have these magical highways between rhythms so that we can see each other, understand each other, hop out, be in another person's rhythm, hop back without this whole big drama and permission and judgment and negativity. And so, oh gosh, I mean, that resonates so deeply for me. Just this idea that rather than trying to squeeze either ourself or any other human into some predetermined box of this is how we must work, that we could self-source some of the way we decide to show up in the world. And I wonder too, what kind of invitation that would give, maybe even without words to the people around us, if they witness us working in a way or incorporating more of the way that works for us into our job. Because I'm aware too, you know, for some of our audience listening, a lot of them are entrepreneurial and they run their own business, but a lot of them, you know, maybe you're listening and you work for somebody else and you don't get to pick the exact workflow, you know, and you don't get to pick the exact rhythm and the exact hours, but to Faith's invitation here, where do you get some say, you know, and what might be your rhythm, especially Faith and I were just laughing before we started recording about this idea that January is the most bonkers time. If you live in the Northern hemisphere to be talking about like, let's gung ho and have new ideas and new plans. Like what, what is that? It's there's feet of snow outside my house right now. (laughs) Um, And so I just, I so appreciate right out of the gate, the way you lead with inclusion. Right. This idea of how can I honor what I need and then how can I support somebody else? And so I'm so curious as you focus on organizational health and creating inclusive teams, what drew you to that work in the first place? Why there? So I'm going to answer that. But as you're as you're talking about the feet of snow, I reflected on a girlfriend yesterday saying that she was heading to work but there was feet of snow and she didn't want to head to work. And so what she did was to check in with her boss and say, hey, there's feet of snow and the plow hasn't come yet. And then the boss kindly said, sure, okay, so just let us know when the plow comes. And the under the subtext for her was wanting permission, wanting the boss to say, hey, no, no, just take care of yourself, stay home. I don't know what the employer's subtext is, but there's what people say, and then there's what, what we really want. And I, I texted her back, I was like, what about being more direct? <laughs> it, it does start with us including ourselves and being willing to say, this is the thing I want. But there's so much fear around, but what if the thing I want causes a person to reject me, lose job, sees me badly, lose reputation, whatever it is, right? And to the idea that you were sharing before, if we all shared what we wanted without it being draconian, like without it being, you know, I I must have this or else. Like if this was a normal part of our practice and we would be modeling it for each other, we'd actually know how to be sharing what we, we all want. And then we'd be, we'd have some skills around the conversation of, okay, so how do we figure out how to do the thing we need to do given what you want and what I want? versus the other way we're doing it, you know? So what drew me to this work was the crash I had maybe seven or or so years into my autism parenting journey. So as you know, I have my son who's 22 now, amazing, has autism, pretty classical autism, not reliably verbal. And I did hit the ground running when we got his diagnosis and I did all the things as far as I could. And I got myself a mortgage without a house with credit card bills. And I applied all of what I knew. I'm, I'm really good at designing curriculum. I'm really good at facilitating learning. So I trained people to help me and 
Jaden had a second regression though, when he was six. And it was, there's an amazing, didn't feel amazing, but amazing experience of watching all of the gains go away. Mm. By that point, I had three kids, you know, so I had the three children who seemed to be psychically connected and they cried at the same time and they pooped at the same time and they needed food at the same. It was just like amazing uh, how it felt, maniacal. And my favorite caregiver was just a beautifully in tune person uh, then said, you know what? I got another job. And so I just remember this, this, this feeling of like, this, I can't do this. Right. And that led to years of just introspection. And I stopped the craziness with Jaden's program as in, I stopped so much of the intervention. Some I couldn't afford and some was just, I have to be sane and it's better for him to be happy. And in the process, starting to figure out, but what, what keeps me going? So that question, what keeps me going, led me to starting a business that felt life-giving to me and acknowledging that, that so many primary caregivers of people with complex needs cannot get their competency needs and their relationship needs met in the workplace. Cause, cause we we're like, Hey, no, gotta go. You know, it's just like, you can't be there. And that entrepreneurship designed well could be this person's act of radical self-care. And so that was me. And that, that journey of including myself led to conversations around, but my family really doesn't fit. So then how do we create spaces where we all fit? Like, what does a learning space look like? What does a faith and church and spiritual spaces look like? What do, what do spaces look like that actually include my family, that I'm not jumping hoops to fit in? And so given that I'm in the organizational space um, and helping you know, people start businesses, uh, special needs moms would come to me and say, yeah, I have an idea. You know, so I'd start doing work with them, then realize we all are craving businesses that have space for our kids fundamentally. So my current like charge is my kids got to work somewhere if they're not going to work in their own business or in my business, which is fine, too. And kids like my kids, they're blessed to have me saying, yes, you can work with me but there are kids who don't have this, right? And it's not just autism. It's not just, you know, learning disabilities. It's anything that's different. And so when George Floyd, the situation with George Floyd happened last year, it was really easy for me to use the same language around inclusion of neurodistinctiveness, which is what I'd been talking about with autism, to talk about my own journey as an immigrant Black woman and feeling like I was a fly on the wall or feeling like I wasn't included in many of the spaces I'd been in. But I, I didn't know that that was what it was. I just was, oh, I guess I have to work harder. I guess I, I guess I, I have to speak up more. I guess I, you know, and, and kind of internalizing it as my own responsibility. And so the process of acknowledging there's a layer of effort that it takes when you don't feel included, whether you acknowledge it or not. That's affecting organizations. It's, it's dropping people's performance, the well-being, like the whole deal. People are throwing money away because the people at work are half there, half not. And they're using so much of their energy to just cope with the fact that they're norming to some center and half of them is not being acknowledged or, or in some ways overtly rejected. So the principles around autism inclusion and then the principles around gender and race and ethnic. And the, it's like, this is just about including difference. And we need to get better at it. We, we, this is not cookie cutter. This rubbish that doesn't work in the school system also doesn't work in the workplace. This cannot be that we define boxes and drop people into them. This has to be that we figure out how to create businesses for humans. That's, that's my monologue. <laughs> Well, for the record, I love your monologue and I'm glad it's recorded because I want to hear it seven more times because there were so many rich moments. One thing that's standing out for me about what you just shared that I'm really appreciating, Faith, is this idea that 
you began with including yourself, mm-hmm. right? That the conversation of inclusion began with including self. And what strikes me too is this awareness of how easy it is to internalize and give ourselves the responsibility of doing the extra work to fit in in places where we're being excluded. And how interesting that dynamic is, yeah. is that the person who's getting the short end of the stick has to do the extra work to even get a place at the table, right? So I'm curious what's showing up for you in doing this work around organizational health and inclusivity right now? What what are themes that are coming up as you work with different business owners and, and different companies? What's showing up right now? The how question is showing up, right? So it's the, yeah, yeah, for people who get it, there's a whole bunch of people who, who don't get it, right? They get it like in a kind of academic way, but they don't really get it. So not, there's that. But for people who get it, there's such a lot of fear around doing the wrong thing, stepping on somebody's toes. If, if I decide that I'm going to build a more inclusive business, what do I need to know and do? But it's not in the, what do I need to know and do with curiosity? It's as much as, what do I need to know and do so that I don't make a mistake? And so the whole question is, is being asked, but not necessarily in terms of curiosity. And so part of how I'm approaching that is, is to take the fear, bring the fear down by starting with self-inclusion and bring the fear down by starting with externalizing how a small team of people who already work well together can become even more inclusive. And so for some people, you know, it might seem like there isn't a lot of change, but, but when people actually learn to listen for difference, when they actually learn to figure out how that difference can be integrated. Just this small thing, this one thing. Let's talk about the fact that Faith does not enjoy, you know, being out of her house at 8.30. One difference. And just just playing with that and perspective shifting that can build such capacity and maybe give us some more courage to kind of say, hmm, maybe I can do this for other differences that feel like they matter more. But there's definitely a fair amount of that fear. And then... There's another layer of everybody needs support. Um, I have a researcher, a, an educational researcher call, talks about this as criminalizing supports. As in other words, we, we like to say if a person has a thing and they therefore need some support to be able to fit into the environment, that that support is seen as a crutch, a weakness, a, a thing that's mm. because of a weakness, yep. right? So giving support is criminal, but you know somebody decided that some supports are for weaknesses and some supports are normal, right? So we have some supports that are normed, like my coffee that you're watching me drink right now, like like snow tires, like, you know, so some, <laughs> right. there's no, in this, this research, she was hysterical and she was saying, there's nobody who would be even looking at me anyway when I say, I'm going to switch these tires out, right? I'm going to put the tires on. It's just, this is the environment. We need to get to the place. We need snow tires. There's none of us who are kind of like, oh my goodness, you need to go to the bathroom, right? So there are some supports that we've determined are, this is normal. And then there's some supports that we've said, this is not. And so the conversation around what support means and that all humans need support and figuring out almost a menu of support and not having people don't need to prove that they need a support, like a show a thing, get an ID card so I can grab a support. Like I don't have to prove that I need to go to the bathroom. Well, I did have to. Right. <laughs> but, you know, so <laughs> can we just shift how we think about this idea of support and therefore layer in supports in a way that gives people autonomy and choice around what's needed? If I need captions, I just need captions. I don't have to prove anything around you know, my hearing or my, nothing. I don't, don't have to disclose. So many people who are in the workspace who feel they don't fit, who feel that they like neurodistinctive people, ADHD or anything like that have been saying, why do I have to justify it? Why do I have to explain why I'm asking for the, this particular way? And it could be something simple. Like, could you email me that? Like a person is telling you, right? Like, could, could right. you send that to me by email? And there's a whole long drama, you know, around things like that. So those, that kind of stuff is coming up. Well, I think there's, again, so many powerful themes right there. You know, again, you come back to this idea of, because I see the same thing, right? Is 
learning anything new, but especially around inclusion right now, from a place of fear, of another place of, you know, just judgment has been so normalized. The concept of everyone's about to be judged, that there's this like host of people out there looking to judge us. And sometimes there are, and sometimes I know in my world, those are just ghosts. They're figments of my imagination, you know, and I go to send an email out to our entire list. In my mind, there's all these ghosts who are like, oh, that's terrible. You can't say that to me, Carly. You need to rewrite that sentence, right? Like, and I'll even pin them on certain people, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, oh, so-and-so Would Sue wouldn't like this line yeah. or Henry wouldn't appreciate this sentence, right? It's like, we're, we're bracing for the judgment, which I think is, is really interesting. So there's such fear around. It's so interesting. Like my brain is ticking really quickly here, Faith, because it sounds like the fear is we want to include other people for whatever reason. Sometimes it's legitimate and genuine. And sometimes I watch it be just a strategic move because this is what's popular right now. Right. right. And so there's, there's that also, but there's also this, if we haven't included ourselves, like I'm going right back to the top of what you started with. If we haven't included ourselves yet, then we're still waiting for everyone to judge us about our process of inclusion, right? And so in that way, the process of inclusion is still a narcissistic endeavor because it's still about us making us feel good <laughs> about whether or not we're doing things, quote, right. Yep. And so the focus is still external as opposed to, I think about When we talk about boundaries a lot in the Boundary Academy, we talk about how the focus of a good boundary isn't other people's responses to it. The focus of a good boundary is whether or not it honors what we value. Like, you know, there might be an external response to it. We can't control that. But but our focal point, what we fan the flames of our attention to is, am I working in alignment? Are my words and my actions matching one another? And so I think it's so interesting And so let's, what if we practice this together, right? What if somebody listening is like, oh snap, I'm doing that thing. (laughs) I want to be more inclusive or provide more support, but I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up and do it wrong and cause more harm or look bad in the the situation, right? But I don't want to be thinking about that. I could see how that might not be the best focal point. What's the gateway there? Or what's the bridge between fear to curiosity? How do we start to make that shift so that we can show up for this work in a sustainable way, ideally for the long term? Where do you begin with folks who really want to do the work, who are coming from a place of fear, but want to be more curious? How do you start that? I don't know if there's a pathway from fear to curiosity. It's really a jump. You're just going to like stand on the ledge and you just jump off. Curiosity is down there. <laughs> let's let's grab it, right? And when I think about that, I am replaying a conversation I had with a client about this. I talked about my own journey as an autism mom. That fear is really about the self, right? As you're saying, it's about, you know, how I'll look bad. It's about how I'll be harmed and so on. And let's do our work to know that we're safe, whatever that is. And we, I could definitely, with an individual, probe that, right? What's the thing that feels unsafe to you? And let's just demystify that. That monster under the bed, let's shine a light. But then there is no way for you to know what you need to be curious about without coming closer. So mm. if, if my neighbor, I'm just looking at my neighbor's house now, wants to know what life is like for a mom of an adult with autism, then she needs to come and knock on the door. And the waiting for me to stand at the corner to say, hey, Lisa, <laughs> come here. It, it, that's, that's not how this is going to work. It's not going to happen that way. And so even the beginnings of curiosity around what's life like in your shoes, whoever the your is, what, what's the just what is it? Just, just like being open to asking that question without needing to do something with those answers. So I, the analogy I gave um, this client was when you knock on the door, I'll, I'll say, come in. And then, or I might not. And if I say, no, I can't have guests right now, then it, part of this work is just being okay. All right, I'll come back tomorrow or the next week or whatever. But if I let you in, I may not have anything to say, but you might notice that I'm scraping the carrots. But then pay attention to what am I doing? What am I doing? What, what's Faith doing? And then, oh, I'm scraping carrots. Okay, let's grab the carrot scraper and join her. And I might say, hey, no, don't scrape it that way. And you learn something. Oh, Faith likes the carrot scraped with a knife, you know, or whatever. And so I think that there is this decision to come closer once you know you're safe. 
And then really just like, hmm, what's happening here? What's this person doing? Everybody is really committed to solving their own problems. And the best way to even tune in is just to see what people are doing. She is, I'm, I'm at home, so clearly my house, my house is dirty. So the, all the analogies are, are house cleaning and cooking. <laughs> so she looks like she's sweeping, you know, and it, I think that when we come closer in whatever way, and this, I, often in workspaces, people say, I'm, I'm creating an open door policy. People can always come to me. It's like, yes, but they're not going to come to you. Because they already, we all have these stories about how, when people should come, how they should come, what looks stupid, what's not stupid, what's a good question, what's, you know. And so you have to come to them. And so there has to be willing, I have to walk over and just like, hey. And of course, it's going to be weird. If you've never walked over before, then it's going to be weird. So it's be okay. It's going to be weird until it's not. Every woman who showed up it was obvious that everyone added to the experience and also it seemed to me like everyone had a profound takeaway. You sign up for these, you know, these webinars or these courses, but this is different. You actually are showing up with a group of people. People, we're human, we want to interact. Going into the Boundary Academy, I didn't realize where I needed boundaries in my life. Boundaries is such a large word. So to be able to scale that down and to see how like, Boundaries don't have to be big and scary. They don't have to be intimidating, but that they can be a part of who you are because they're, they need to be is what I think I didn't see coming, but that is so rich and so wonderful to be able to carry on into the rest this year and the rest of my life. These are the voices of women who have attended the Boundary Academy. This is a group coaching program and ongoing community that I run with 14 women from the Council of Boundary Makers. And together, we welcome women who used to be like me, people-pleasing overachievers who secretly feel behind because you know you're capable of more, but you just don't have time to get to it with everything on your plate into the arms of sisterhood to make sure that you finally have both the time and energy to get to what you care about without being pulled in 10 directions or feeling guilty anymore. Because here's the thing, a life without boundaries is not your own life. But having boundaries is definitely not about armoring up or having to be fierce or have big hard walls between you and everybody else. I think the thing I continued to take away was this perspective that boundaries are not walls. That can be intimidating to say, oh, I'm gonna sign up for Boundary Academy, but I don't know if I'm ready to put up those walls yet. And that's not what it's about. Boundaries actually are between you and you. It's looking at where do you need to create a boundary for yourself? And because of that, that it's softer. It's not trying to hide you behind a wall, but instead, help you bridge across a situation. You see, all my years of research and coaching women in the territory of boundaries has taught me that it's not that setting boundaries is hard. It's trying to set them alone that makes them so tricky. So instead, we use proven methods and good old sisterhood that gives you both the resources, the clarity, and the confidence to have the best career, relationships, and health of your life without it having to feel like as much work as it is right now. So the doors to enroll in the new class open on February 12th and close promptly on February 26th. So this is your window. Head on over to carlyfane.com to get the full scoop and free instant access to the mini Boundaries Like a Boss course. And I hope to see you in the full academy soon. We rise well together. That's what people need to know is like when they feel like they can't rise up, we're here to lift them. This is huge, Faith. Like, as I follow your chain of thought and tell me if I'm getting this right, but it sounds like, I love how you say it's really from fear to curiosity can feel more like a leaf than it is a gentle pathway, right? So if it feels weird, okay, you're pop, maybe you're doing it right, right? <laughs> like like this, is, this is the way it actually feels. But there was this gentle progression you guided us through about, can I be willing to go closer? Can I meet somebody where they are? Can I knock at the door and be okay with whatever the response is? And if I'm invited in, 
can I just then pay attention yep. without needing to influence anything, just to be the witness, to be the observer, to see moments where I'm being invited to peel the carrots and be willing to learn how you peel your carrots, right? But this this idea of, gosh, can we come closer as being the gateway to curiosity there? I was thinking there's massive amounts of information that we could get by slowing down to our earlier point, right? Because we're really, people who are approaching me, they're saying, so how do I do this right? You know, have my policy right? I want my hiring strategy to be right. I want, you know, and, and it's like, let's, let's slow down a little bit and get our micro behaviors aligned with the value. This policy hiring strategy is all the way in the middle here, but there is a value that you're aspiring towards and there are some micro behaviors already exist and let's shift those internally first, but let's be slow enough to even notice what they are because we're living out another value already. We're already living this thing out. So we have to be willing to kind of slow down enough to like shift ourselves incrementally. And it's like, okay, this is the new way that I want to be with myself and with the other that I'm already with. And then we build our, you know, okay, fine, good. So what this is, you know, this is what that means in terms of hiring or this is what it means in terms of roles or, or whatever it is. Right. So it's this daring, we talk a lot about here about this daring to pause, Mm. right? When the cultural norm is go faster, get more coffee or do whatever you need to do to to do the most, right? To run on Dunkin' or whatever it is to just churn out more. The invitation here and the model going forward is, can I dare to be thoughtful? Mm -hmm. Can I dare to be intentional here? Can I dare to not rush having the answer? not rush being invited in. And then once I am, just because somebody invites you in doesn't mean you go put your feet up on the coffee table either, right? It's like, okay, now you're sitting in their house. What is that going to look like? And so I'm curious, as you work with teams or individuals who are starting their own businesses, Faith, what are some of the signs that maybe it's time to explore inclusivity or do a little health checkup? for your company? Like what might be some of the ways people might know, you know what, it's time for me to talk to Faith or somebody like Faith in this, in this space? There are two things that I look for the most. The first thing is that if you are the center of your team, if everything comes through you, if the primary relationships are with you and not with each other, if you then are at risk of being the bottleneck If you are the person that has to guide and mentor all of the people, then we're not set up for juiciness, is what I've been calling it. (laughs) We're not, it's not set up right. Number one, you definitely aren't standing fully in your own self. That means you aren't including yourself well, right? And two, you haven't set the, the space up for people to show up as themselves and then to to build the relationships with the other. So you are a primary translator of everybody's language. You are yeah, that, that's that's a difficult place to be in. I just had this conversation or something similar. Tell me if this fits into what you're talking about. I have a this glorious client who runs a great company. She's a wonderful human being. Prior to us working together, she hadn't been on a vacation at all for years because the last time she went away, she got all excited. She went away. She came back and it was just a tremendous mess. Everything had fallen apart. There was so much work on her desk. So many things had gone wrong. It was exhausting. She went from this blissful vacation mood to total fear and panic and frustration with her team about why couldn't you do this while I was gone? Like what was going on there? And we had this, this conversation about, well, what's happening that your team can't step up, you know, like where might you not be having conversations with them, right? Or including them? Where are they not getting the opportunity to strengthen their muscles? And I never thought about it through the lens that you're sharing, Faith, of your particular language around if you are the primary relationship, if everything has to go through you, that that in and of itself is a sign that while we might call a group of people a team, it's not actually a team. And I see that so much. Everyone calls their group a team. And I'm like, just because it's a group doesn't make it a team, right? And we see this a lot with the leveling up, right? In, in, in organizations, when you first start hiring employees, and now you've got four or five, and we call them a team, 
doesn't necessarily mean, right? So you, you hit the nail on the head for that example. Of that's exactly what was happening for her. And so what's the second one? Oh, <laughs> I'm already related that, so much to the first one. It reminded me so much of, I was, I was creating, I have an assessment that I do with teams and I was creating the assessment, uh, writing out the stages. And then I started to have a great friend who was hiring. So I said, okay, talk to me about you and your team. And as she spoke to me as looking at the assessment, I was like, she's not on this. Why is she not on this? So I'm having my own panic about my assessment. I was like, oh, there's a whole stage called not a team. <laughs> it was like, not a team. <laughs> there's some things here, right? And then, you know, and so I was like, yeah, that's not a team is a really important thing to acknowledge. Yeah. The other piece that I look at is how people are handling conflict. And this is two, this is twofold because if teams have no conflict, I like I'm 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 having headaches. I'm like, oh my word, what's going on here? This is really bad, right? Uh, because that means that people are hiding. People don't feel safe to express their stuff or whatever it is. If if the team meeting is quiet, if the direct leader of the team kind of gives out the work and everybody scatters, if afterwards in the corridor you're hearing corridor, <laughs> you're hearing anybody is saying, what a waste of time. These meetings are so ridiculous. Why, why, why are we having these meetings? This constant stuff about the value of meetings is a huge red flag. We're meeting too often. Where I personally think we can't be meeting too often. But when people feel that they're meeting too often, that means that something is going on. That's, that's just, it's not good. It could be that there's no conflict or it could be that conflict is being handled in silos. So then you have you know, the equivalent of what's happening at, in high school. You know, it's like these two people over here are forming their little thing to chat, to chat about the problem. These two people over there, that kind of thing is definitely like inclusivity is not on the table in that space. And so there's a lot of othering. Us is, we are on us. These two is on us. The, these other two are us is, you know. And so they don't have good mechanisms for seeing and being with difference. And integrating that difference is definitely a threat in that space. So, so stop the presses here for a second, because I think you just introduced something really fascinating. You are suggesting, Faith, that conflict is where connection happens. That's where these individual silos and the othering and more separateness actually occurs. Is that like to not see the conflict anyway, to never, to never confront conflict. To never look somebody with a different view or opinion, a way of doing work in the eye and say, oh, okay, what's going on here? We're approaching this differently. To never have that conversation leads to, I mean, I think of it, your phrase now, like these conflict silos, right? And more othering and more separating. And then I also think more armoring up because now it's me versus you. It's us versus them. It's right. So this idea of could we be courageous enough and create a space safe enough? where conflict is normalized. So I'm in, in many of the, the relationships that I build for prof in professional spaces, I really work very hard at building trust. And I think every team leader, like the fundamental ingredient in a team is trust and vulnerability. I work hard on building trust so that I have the power to say what I think without it feeling like I'm slashing at your, you know, it's like taking a knife to you, right? Because it, it could be surgical, and that could be painful because it's healing, but that only happens if you trust me. Because if you're jumping up off the table while I'm taking the knife and I don't have your permission, then that's abuse, right? So, so the way we've seen conflict is as if it is abuse, as if it is that person who is throwing something at you, when really it's a difference that when expressed and explored we might come up with that third thing. Like you say A and I say B and the two seem to disagree, but there is a C that handles it. And we do not come up with the C that handles it unless we're able to fully express and process A and B. And not just process A and B, but process what's underneath A and B. Like back to the curiosity, like how come you think, I was having a conversation recently with one of the team leaders that I work with talking about the priority of hiring and wages versus cost of service to clients. And there was this, you know, this tension around which one should we focus on? Do we raise prices? Uh, if we raise salaries, we raise prices and, and just this back and forth. And I was like, I really worked very hard to listen to the value that was below that. 
And for this leader, it was accessibility of the service. And the value that was below my pushing for salaries was quality of life for people. And we don't disagree on those values. We were disagreeing on implementation. So if we can get to the, like, we have to be able to have the hard thing. Like, no, but what are you saying? Whatever. To like, ah, so we're talking about these two core things. And how do we now handle both of these core things and implement it in ways, if I was on that team, as a, if I was working on that team, maybe how do we handle it in a way that really aligns with both of what we're saying? Since we don't disagree on the values, but we have to do the conversation that feels a little fractious, feels a little tense sometimes to be able to get to that. So I have to trust. Right. So it's coming back to this idea of starting with safety, right? Where can I make sure that I am safe, thus that I can show up and come closer to this other person and extend trust in our relationship. And then with trust, when trust is in the room, conflict is no longer a violence. It's a source for creativity, right? It's like with conflict comes the need to go, okay, you see it this way. I see it that way. What's option three, right? Right? Or with crisis comes creativity in a safe enough space, right? Of like, okay, geez Louise, COVID happened. We're going to have to change the way we're offering some services. What might we be able to do now that we wouldn't have been able to do before and I, I like I think about this a lot. I sit on the board of a of a school and we're in the middle of this capital campaign, right? And I'm co-chairing this campaign. We're nine months into the campaign and COVID happens. And we're over here thinking, like, how in the world do you try to fundraise, call people up and ask them for money when there's a global pandemic happening? And this is like back in March when we we all know nothing, right. like what how this is gonna roll out. And we're sitting here thinking, well, you know we're raising money because we want this school to be here for the long term and to have meaningful connection for the long term. That's the same. That core value is the same. That hasn't changed because of the pandemic. Let's just call people up and not ask them for money. Let's just see how they're doing. Yeah. Right. Like, cause that'll form a long-term relationship that maybe it'll lead to something down the road. Like who knows, lo and behold, we ended up raising more money anyway, because of that, because every, so like the crisis was COVID the gift was such commonality in our clarity that we need human connection. Yep. Nobody could miss that right now. And so this, how do we build a safe enough place to be able to turn conflict into creative opportunities, right? And to become closer rather than, than farther apart. That's huge. And I just think also, you know, you and I were talking about boundaries before this before we started recording here and this idea that when you explain these conflict silos, these clicks that can happen at work, very much the high school analogy is perfect, right? Like high school or middle school and like so-and-so's gossiping in the corner about so-and-so and that whole thing. I see that those are ways that we create dysfunctional boundaries. Like now we've drawn a wall around ourselves right. that separates us from somebody else, right? And boundaries aren't just empowering. They can be destructive right. if if not done with intentionality. And so I'm curious for you, where the intersection of boundaries shows up in your work with inclusivity or with you know team health, what do you notice there at the intersection of, of boundaries and teams that do or, or are having a hard time doing well? First of all, the whole question of personal boundaries is a dicey, it's a, it's a complicated question. So what, what I've seen is team leader boundaries really firm and team member or group boundaries not really clear. And when I think about a boundary, I do think about things that are in place to protect values and nourish self and so on. But there is this, uh, we're still in an old model of thinking. Some people get to protect self and others don't. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so <laughs> team leader, yeah. <laughs> you know, gets to say, don't knock on my door until four o'clock or, or whatever. The boundary is that's self-protective of their, you know, what, whatever they, they need to be nourishing. And team member doesn't have that right. If you take that kind of idea a step further, because we don't have the tools around noticing difference and paying close attention and stuff like that, then don't knock on my door until four o'clock can do some triggering with a person who hasn't done the work around. My goodness, my, my dad was always locked away in his study until four and I didn't ever have access, but my brother did. 
or I'm a black woman with a white boss. And when I get told that a person may not even have an explicit thought, when I get told that it throws me right back into, I'll never have the power to be the person who knocks on the door when it feels urgent to me. I have to wait until you feel you're ready. And so I think it's it's important in the conversation around inclusivity and creating spaces where people belong to work on the power dynamics, to own your power, to own privilege. This, this the privilege is in some spaces a dirty word. To own the fact that if you have traditionally been centered in that space and leadership can make you be the center, it's not, not necessarily whiteness or maleness. It could be ableness in the case of, you know, this disability versus whatever it is. Whatever has you as center gives you power and you've been reinforcing the boundaries that a power has allowed you to have. How do you dismantle that so that other people can reinforce their own boundaries? And sometimes that starts with an easy, an easy but hard place for it to start is at home. Can your kids reinforce mm. some boundaries with you? Can your partner reinforce some boundaries with you? And, and challenging yourself to notice when you have power and that causes you to reinforce boundaries that you don't allow other people to reinforce. And then I think once you get into the collective now, the, the team, then we don't often ask the question, what's, what does this team value? Because a boundary has to be constructed, not just as a keep out because you're mean and you disagree with me, but it does need to be constructed as a, this is who we are and what we're about and how do we protect that? And I, my personal biased answer to that is we protect it by making sure core team needs are met. And the core, like humans have core needs and therefore that team of humans has a core need. If we pay attention enough, we'll kind of notice it. This team needs, my, my actor friends call it the it. You sit down in an improv group for a while, <laughs> you hang out. It was like, what's the it? I was like, I don't know. What is the it? It's like, wait, you see. <laughs> it, right, it will right. emerge. And once you've given it space to emerge, then nourish the dickens out of that. That becomes the healthy boundary for the group versus you know, right. the, the more like power over. Yeah. Right. When we talk about and we'll put a link in the show notes to the episode we did about the four types of power, because I think you're speaking to it. This is it. Right. This idea of the power over dynamic. There's one top dog. They dictate everything. Everybody else has to fall in line versus what does it look like to do power within or power two or power four? And how might we be stronger together if we don't buy into the myth that power is finite, that we, that we lean into this idea that the more powerful you are, the more powerful we all are, Absolutely. right? Like what, what could that look like? I mean, oh my gosh. Realistic, right? Because if, if I, if you have power, I have power, our power together is even, is way more than our individual power when we are embracing it versus taking some of your power for it to be mine. You know, it's a whole. Right. Right. Hoarding, like hoarding, even unconsciously. Of course. Right. But where am I seeking somebody's power away from them? Mm -hmm. That's a question worth sitting with, right? Where am I not being generous with power? And where am I being generous? And what could that look like? And even why, right? Because it's the, it's the whole, this person says it to you, you say it or act to your kid, the kid kicks the cat. So when I find myself withholding power or taking power, when I find myself hyper-controlling, what's underneath there? Where have I been experiencing power being taken from me? And is that a boundary that I have not set for myself, mm. right? And then um, where, where am I, where do I need to be nourished, yeah. I am not, you know, kind of just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be the kid and kick and kick the cat. Well, because you're kicking me in. And so the, I think that that interrogation is really important. And sometimes it's, what am I scared of in this space, in this organization, in this business, especially lots of us as entrepreneurs have a whole ton of fears wrapped up in our dreams and visions and values. Like I right. have to really be deliberate about extracting my kids' well-being from my business. I used to yeah. as a goal, like, you know, my kids will be able to blah, blah, blah. But that tie up was dangerous. Well, it's exhausting, right? It's like so much weight on the 
shoulders of our business. I need my business or my career to pay me a paycheck, okay, but I also need it to be where I get most of my social interaction, where I get my ego boost for doing a good enough job, where I feel worthy, where I feel accepted, where people respect me, where like, right? Like, where am I putting all of these expectations on my job? Thus, no wonder it becomes crushing and to your point, entanglement between, am I moving towards what I love? Am I doing this work because it brings me closer to what I love? Or am I making decisions in my career or in my business because I'm trying to run away from what I'm still scared of? And so I just keep coming full circle back to your idea of, we start with the exploration of safety, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Where am I safe? What do I need to be safe and feel safe? And then how might I extend that to others? So Faith, this is so much food for thought. We could make 17 episodes out of this conversation, but if you're game, would you be willing to do the two-way Q&A with us? Sure. Okay. Question number one. This is a fun one. Faith, if you came with a warning label, what might it say? I came with a warning label. This is a dicey one for me because the first thought that came, I was like, ooh, I don't want to say that. Fire hose. Fire hose as, a, a, I think I told you, that somebody had said to me, Faith, you're like a fire hose. There's too much information. You just say too many things. You use too many words, you, you know? And I had this whole drama of, I am overwhelming for people, you know, and the thing. And then somebody else said to me, you know, fire hoses are needed, right? They put out fires. (laughs) (laughs) This whole business of, I don't want to be a fire. You know, it's like, cut it out. And so um, I I am reshaping and reframing that for myself. But I would say you turn me on and it's just like, it's all coming out. So just, you get, and there's plenty you just here. Get, there's lots. There's plenty here. And you don't come to me with a teacup because I can give you a swimming pool's worth. So like, don't show it but with a teacup, right? Like, like <laughs> and there's generosity over here. <laughs> Thank you for reframing that. For all the women who are listening, who have been told you're being too much, you're extra, you're doing the most as if that's a negative thing. It's like this, I love this fire hose. You're right. I'm a fire hose. And call me when there's a fire, right? Because here I like, oh, I love that. Okay. So based on our conversation today, what's one question you would have for a woman in listening? What do you want to know from them? If you had the power to do anything you wanted in your work or in your business, that would feel just... I don't know why nourishing, exciting, it would just feel fantastic. What would you do? A small thing, not a big thing like, you know, we'll buy an island, although if that's it. But what's one small thing that if you had the total power, you would do? I'd be curious about what that would be. I better go ask yes. it for myself. I'm going I'm to go. I know. I feel like I need to take notes and write and, and live into that. Yeah. So we're going to make sure that Faith's um, social media and contact info is here in the show notes so that you can be in conversation with her and me. Tag us when you, when you respond to this in social media, because what a good reminder for us all to have that question in front of us, you know, to watch another woman answer that is the reminder for me to check in around that and vice, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, all right, here's my last question for you, Faith. Even if other people disagree, what's one thing that you know to be true? Even if other people disagree, even if other people disagree, what's one thing I know to be true? It's important for us to figure out why our Black women clients don't get the results that our white women clients get. It's important to figure that out and to figure out what specific structures and supports might be needed. I think people might disagree because I, I imagine people saying we don't want to be treated, Black women saying we don't want to be treated differently, we don't want tokenism, we don't want, and in my mind, it's not that. But the system has been flawed, just like iPhones 
have been normed against the white woman face versus, right? And so pictures, pictures have not represented me. A lot of the programs and structures and stuff that we've been in have not represented me. And it's important to figure that out. And this does not mean that I am saying I won't work hard, do my mindset work or whatever it is. That's important. And I think just I tied to that, I will also just add, don't add diversity into your business until you've decided to do your work on inclusion. And if that leaves you as a purely white business or as a purely male business or as a purely black business, leave it. Don't create unsafe spaces for people. Don't invite people in and then have them not belong. That's trauma. There it is, Faith. Thank goodness for you and the clarity you bring when you speak, when you share so honestly and so open. We are fortunate, so fortunate to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for the space you hold. It's fantastic. (laughs) Well, if you're like me, you want a little more faith in your life. (laughs) I know I certainly gain so many insights and so much inspiration every time I interact with faith. So I have put her contact info in the show notes, wherever you're listening. I encourage you to be in touch with her and let me know the answer to faith's rich question there. If you had the power to do any one small thing you wanted in your work or your business that would feel fantastic to live into, what would you do? I hope you'll tag me on LinkedIn or Instagram and keep this conversation going. Because remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including your including. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.